If someone told you your calling might be a career you never imagined, would you consider it? Today's guest, Adiemi Mchunguzi, did just that, and the result was life-changing. As long as I've known Adiemi, being in his presence always had the effect of improving your life. Now he has taken this gift to help break the silent and unconscious biases that limit the integration of corporate America. In 2019, Adiemi became the founder and CEO of ASMT Solutions, a human capital consulting firm specializing in diverse talent acquisition and talent development services. Today, we discuss how Adiemi resisted doubt and took a leap of faith to become the CEO of ASMT Solutions, a company determined to shed light on the tremendous benefits of having and supporting a diverse workforce. You guys, this is a good one. Enjoy our chat. Since I've known you, you've always been very active in every community you call home. I'm really thinking about Prep for Prep. Um, you were a leader in that community. And did your parents play a role in your willingness to give back? It played a huge role. I always saw them uh, giving back, supporting underserved communities and being involved both professionally in their day-to-day work as well as extracurricularly in terms of their volunteer, uh, just always supporting uh, different communities. So they spent their careers in in social work and social advocacy, uh, social justice and health and human services related fields. Uh, and so in the early days, uh, my father was very active in the civil rights movement. Movement uh, in the 60s in New York and uh, really played a role in local politics as well as uh, just community based organizing. And he transferred that experience into social services, working for uh, child protective services in New York, doing those dreaded investigations and, and home visits uh, to, to keep children safe and, and continuing on uh, through a number of roles there. And, and my mom, similarly, uh, working in health education and uh, in her early days uh, in Harlem, supporting HIV and AIDS patients as a counselor to make sure they had resources and then administering a, a number of uh, health services projects. And and that was just their day jobs. So I, I could go on and on actually about the things that they did outside of work uh, where they dedicated time uh, to making sure that those communities who were not getting resources uh, or, you know, frankly, didn't know what resources were out there uh, had some sort of outlet. And your dad's office was adjacent to the home you lived in, correct? So he actually worked at, um, so when he was in Brooklyn, he was in Brownsville. Um, and so he worked at an SRO, which is like a single room occupancy um, kind of social services building where folks who are transitioning back into uh 
what they would call society were given resources on site. So his office was connected to where his uh, clients and, and kind of patients actually okay. lived. Okay. So when you would walk into the building, it was the same entryway. Uh, the security guards were on the left, uh, guarded up by windows. And then to the right, uh, you could see where the, uh, where the actual Mm-hmm. clients went to live and they had community rooms and things of that nature. Uh, and then a different hallway was where the offices were. Mm. I, When you were telling me about your dad's office, I think what I love the most is that you didn't realize that these his clients were considered for less of a better way to put this, but outcast to society mm-hmm. because they treated... You know, in your child's eyes, your innocent eyes, they were just humans who needed help. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think that speaks to how your dad treated them and how he went about his, you know, his day to day. Certainly. There was, there was always a lot of respect, uh, for, for them. They, they treated me, uh, very lovingly, showed me a lot of love. And so as a kid, I enjoyed that, of course. And it certainly equalized us in a, in a way that was so distinct from what I was seeing in, in my day to day, uh, you know, from, from school and elsewhere. And so I was able to, you know, learn drums from some of his clients Mm -hmm. and sit and play dominoes and do arts and crafts, right? And meanwhile, also sit in his office and see the back end of what was going on uh, and start to learn that people were dealing with substance abuse issues. They were dealing with domestic violence. They were recently incarcerated. And so then it became my curiosity of saying, okay, well, wait, you're talking about John? Really, you know, and mm-hmm. and a little bit of the questioning there, and uh, and and so I really enjoyed that because it made me just think differently uh, about people because I saw them in this positive light, and that didn't change. But I also recognized they were going through uh, some troubling and just challenging times in their lives. Yeah. So you entered college in two thousand and nine. What did you major in, and what were you? Who were you expecting Adiomi to be? after graduation? So I majored in political science, which I was pretty clear that was the track I was going into when I joined. And I was excited to expand my reach and impact. Uh, I saw college as an opportunity uh, to have more resources. So more clubs, more organizations, more people. And uh, so I was really energized uh, by the opportunity for leadership and uh, to really jump right in, um, you know, which I did uh, when, I, when I joined, when I started out at Davidson, uh, I was, ended up being the freshman representative for a Black Student Coalition, which was an elected uh, position on the executive board. And that was within the first month or two of, of college. And, and so for me, that was the energy that I was trying to bring. Uh, I also was, was super excited that Davidson had their largest black class at that time. And so we came in with approximately 40 black students in that class. Uh, and I think it was more or less split down the middle, men and women. Mm-hmm. And that was the largest that they had. And so we had a little bit of, you know, a little bit of that swag coming onto campus because we knew that we had a presence. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to to push on that as well. Uh, you know, and I made 
just some of my closest friends to this day uh, from those early days at, uh, at at Davidson. So, you know, I, I felt like there was an opportunity at Davidson uh, for me to keep building on, on what I had learned. Uh, and I was also excited to be in a whole new environment. What were your career ambitions at the time? Lawyer, 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 <laughs> lawyer, lawyer, lawyer. <laughs> Probably since I was uh, about four or five, that was my career path. That was the epitome of professional success. As we know, it's lawyers and doctors. And also, it was a way for me to really service a community that was underserved. And so I recognized how powerful the law is, how quickly we can be manipulated by it if we're not informed, uh, and how challenging it is to get access to legal representation. Uh, and so I, I won't say that I was saying all of that at four. However, my, <laughs> my thoughts started to form from that age. And so uh, being a lawyer was, was always the, the track for me. So it's 2013. And after four-year-old four Ayemi is like, oh, we did it. We're at a law firm. <laughs> What what was that feeling like after years of working towards a goal, finally, finally achieving the beginning of it? And did expectation live up to your reality? So I'll start with the offer letter because okay. this is just an indelible moment. And I was uh, sitting in a friend's apartment uh, with a bunch of fraternity brothers and uh, I saw the letter and I was excited because they were giving me a Mac computer. <laughs> I was ecstatic. You know, I was like, okay, I am arriving. And so um, I, I started that job about 10 days after graduation. Uh, so it was a super quick turnaround. And I, uh, I was, again, was really energized. And I thought, okay, this is now the moment where I will be learning the law uh, and, and getting exposed to it and really setting myself up Right for that path, so I've been doing a lot of talking, a lot of studying, but now was now is the time, uh, and so it. What I learned is that I didn't know what my expectations were. So I had an expectation of what the end point was, but I didn't have clear expectations on what the through point would be, right? And so what it would take for me to get there. Uh, so it was not what I expected when I, when I joined the firm and I applied and received a paralegal position. And it was, uh, the first day. And there were two other paralegals that were hired with me. And I knew that because I had met at least one of them during the interview process. We did a, we, we interviewed together a final round. And uh, my, my boss said, all right, so there are three positions available. And there are three of you. Uh, there are two positions that are going to be supporting a team of attorneys. And then one of them is going to be supporting me. And so this is the managing partner, founder, managing partner of the firm. Um, and so we did uh, two weeks of rotation where we sat with different teams, including him, and just went through, shadowed, and supported on tasks, you know, went to depositions, meetings, etc. And then at the end, they made a decision. And so I ended up with the managing partner. And so I spent that first year as his paralegal. And what I learned was that he did not have a traditional paralegal. Mm -hmm. So all of the things that I thought I was interviewing for and that I had planned for in terms of this role and you know documents and thinking about just the legal process, uh, 
I was thrown into that plus legal operations and trying to manage the firm and supporting him through mm. that. And so, you know, my first, that whole first year, I'm helping him set his schedule and prioritize his day while managing his inbox, his email of 100 plus emails a day and meetings and all sorts of things uh, along with uh, just the operations of a, of a firm. And it was about a 25 person firm at the time. So thinking about marketing and client management as well as internal organizational development and teams and hiring and firing and compensation and you know all all elements of it and so that's not what i had applied for let alone yeah. uh, the position that i received but uh, it was uh, it was a, it was a fantastic experience and uh, it actually was exactly what i needed so ironically uh, i think that was the perfect first role for me. You were eventually in charge of interns. So tell me how that, what led up to them giving you that responsibility. So within my first two weeks, I sat in a termination meeting. Uh, So that's how we got started. I also was fortunate enough to work with the managing partner's uh, executive assistant uh, who handled more personal things and as well as administrative functions for the firm. So we worked closely together. And so she also led the hiring processes. Uh, and interviewed me. And so, you know, we, we were sitting in an office together and, you know, she may, may be jumping on a phone interview and, uh, you know, she would include me or just have me jump in on that or we would start looking at resumes together. And I realized that there was something here that I liked and that I enjoyed. And so I wanted to do more of it. And that, that kind of translated <laughs> over time to increasing responsibility. So, the one instance in particular where it really, really took charge uh, was around uh, administrative support. And so uh, I alluded to this earlier, but there was a, a large case that came in that was the largest, highest exposure and highest value case uh, that the firm had ever had. Uh, and it was a medical malpractice case, which for better or worse, typically have a lot of dollars uh, attached to them. And uh, and the, the documents were too much for our team to handle. And so, you know, I said, hmm, why don't we get a part-time administrative assistant, which essentially was a college student intern, mm-hmm. uh, to help us scan things, right? Uh, and, and that was, here's a, here's a gap, here's a solution, it's low cost, and I'll, I'll handle it in terms of the, the hiring process. Process and and that started the I think the train of uh, of increasing responsibilities where I was then helping to hire paralegals and doing the job postings as well as the interviews and moved into also supporting the summer intern class of law students and so I actually worked with them to devise and manage their programming. Uh, And so to make sure that they had the resources in our document management system uh, for old cases and templates to make sure that they were 
giving, given increasing levels of responsibility and that they were learning certain skills, uh, all the while really getting to know them and also being involved in these interviews. And so uh, as I was uh, leaving the firm, I was in a more leadership role in the, uh, in the actual recruitment of the, of the summer interns. So at this point, are you thinking, huh, I'm very good at this and maybe I should take into consideration that this is the career path for me? Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. Okay. (laughs) So I was in the classic case of wearing tons of hats. And so this was one of them. So for me, it was a part of me performing well at my overall job, which was to make sure that the firm was doing well. Mm. And so I saw it as ancillary, not primary. I was fortunate enough, as I mentioned, to work with great people. And so I worked uh, closely with the CFO at the firm. And uh, she was the one who actually said, have you thought about doing this like full time? (laughs) And we had already had conversations about me transitioning out of the firm. uh, And let me kind of sidestep here and say that the overall plan was to be there for two years and my second year to be applying for law school. And then after that two years, go ahead and, uh, and, and enroll in school. And so it was always going to be somewhat of a, a short term. Uh, but as that took a bit of a turn, uh, you know, she was the one who brought it up to me and I said, hmm, no, I hadn't thought about that. And I think even in that moment, I, it still didn't sink in. Because I was like, I don't, it didn't feel or I hadn't seen perhaps the path uh, to, uh, to uh, you know, career success. And so again, it felt like something I could do on the side and be a part of the way I think about operations. So you're hearing that you're good at this. And at some point, you had to make a decision to jump in head first and pursue this full time. Were you 100% confident in that it was going to work? Not at all. When I got into recruiting, I understood at a very general level what it was, right? Because I had done the parts of recruiting uh, you know, that I was familiar with and, and that I knew I would be doing when I went full-time. But my main goal when I left the firm was to be in a role that was more engaging, uh, that was more interactive uh, with people, uh, that had uh, just, a, a, frankly, less uh, administrative components to it. Uh, so the, the, the dark side to law is it's a lot of paperwork. Uh, and so I could easily be spending 10 hours behind a computer all day. And so I wanted definitely wanted wanted less of that. So I was looking at sales jobs, marketing jobs, and 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 marketing was the catch-all. I think especially at that time, I you know, maybe that's just my my own bias here, but I feel like marketing was the cool thing to do for mm-hmm. for us and I applied to tons of marketing jobs where I interviewed and found out I was going to be selling 
Verizon products out of a Costco or I was going to be selling window repair treatments at a gas station and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, lots of lots of woes through that through that search but uh, was I 100% confident uh, no I wasn't uh, but I knew that it was time to take the leap of faith and I recognized that my next job didn't have to be my last job. So I already started to really learn that and think about my career path in that way. And so I said, all right, let me jump in here and learn as much as I can, see what this industry has to offer and take it from there. Did you feel like in making this transition, you were giving up part of your identity? I lost a lot when I was not able to say I was a paralegal at a civil defense litigation firm. I loved saying it for all of the ego reasons that you can think of, right? As well as fulfilling my ultimate, you know, ambitions, right? It was a validation that I was on track and that I was really going to do the things I had been talking about. And I I remember distinctly it was summer uh, and it was like shortly after July 4th, I was no longer at the firm and I was still figuring out what my next moves were. And I didn't know how to introduce myself. Mm. I didn't know what to say. And that for me was a moment of like true introspection mm. to recognize that my identity was so rooted in the work and what that, that firm had going on that I stopped focusing on how I think about myself outside of that. So now you're in recruiting full time. I really want to put the listeners in your position and set the scene. You are a young black man from New York. And you are recruiting for engineering and IT roles. What language are you finding is being used to keep these roles predominantly white and male? What bias do you see coming out in your clients? Culture fit. Culture fit was the most used a form of bias language uh, that was often clouded as uh, professional. Uh, you know, there's no negativity associated with it on its face. The connotations are generally positive. And because culture and fit can be interpreted differently by different people, there was always that wiggle room that you weren't too biased, right? Or mm -hmm. there wasn't something too discriminatory about that language. But when you think about culture fit, oftentimes clients saw that as fitting with the existing culture. Mm. So candidates that matched the current employees were more likely to be a culture fit. So that goes all the way down the line of straight, white, Christian, male, often Southern as well. Uh, there were biases based on geographic region. Many 
folks in the South did not like the fact that New Yorkers were coming down and bringing their New York dollars to buy property and changing the landscape of their environment. And, you know, to a certain extent, rightfully so. I can understand and empathize with what that, pro- that adjustment was uh, for them. But that was the most egregious uh, term used. And it took me a while uh, to really dissect it because I'm learning this industry. Mm. So I, I, I'm mimicking what I see. Uh, and I'm, I'm learning from people uh, who are operating in this sense. And so, you know, you're going down the list, all right, you know, you're in a new job, you're in a new industry, new type of work, and you're going through the list, all right, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, how do I get better at this? And so I use culture fit in ways that I'm not proud of. Um, and I recognize what that, how that impacted hiring processes. And uh, it took a long time for me to be able to challenge uh, my teammates, my colleagues, uh, as well as my clients mm. uh, to push a little bit past that. And uh, a number, a number of instances uh, where, where this came up, but one in particular where I had a uh, candidate who was a woman uh, applying for a IT leadership position, and she checked all the boxes and then some from a professional standpoint uh, and I thought would be a fantastic fit. And I got a ton of pushback. A ton of pushback. And a lot of it was because of this culture fit. And the questions became, well, have you found anyone else? Is there anyone else that may be a better fit? You know, are you sure that she is the, the right person for this job. And so even those things, right? Even those, which can be benign questions and often are questions that need to be asked. However, uh, there are times where that became biased language uh, in itself. Hmm. And are you receiving support from your superiors on this pushback? <laughs> no, I'm pushing back to my superiors. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> at the end of the day, everyone wanted to succeed. Mm. And to get down to brass tacks, everyone wanted to make money. Mm. So again, small firm, most of our compensation was tied to commission. And so the fastest path to success was to meet the client's expectations ASAP. Mm. So what does that mean? You have to have a trade-off. If your client wants culture fit and you know that's going to get you to close the deal, you're going to chase culture fit. Why buck the system and put someone in front of them that you know is going to give them pause? You know they're less likely to hire. So then you are really sitting behind a computer, writing up an email and or sifting through resumes and having to make those sorts of decisions. In the IT space, uh, it's very common to have candidates who are not born in America, who uh, may simply just not have air quotes here, American names. Mm. And so uh, when those candidates came up, some of the questions were around, well, what's their work authorization status? Um, you know, are they local? 
uh, that's often a question uh, that, that that gets asked that can be right very loaded uh, and and you can it can fly right by you you won't even notice it until two days later and then you say wait a second what uh, and so I uh, so there plenty of times I had these sorts of conversations but uh, I treaded lightly so I was not I am not going to purport that I was the trailblazer <laughs> and you know I had my fist up the whole time you know because I was getting along to get along too yeah and so I recognized the moments where I was complicit in that where I knew that my rent needed to be paid. Mm. And I knew that these student loans weren't going anywhere. And so I also wanted to succeed mm. <laughs> as quickly as possible. And so I recognize where those, where those trade-offs are and where I reflected. But I'll say the one moment where that pushback really solidified for me uh, was uh, when I presented a candidate and there were some concerns about their fit. And it was someone who had a non-traditional name and uh, and my uh, my team and, and my boss at the time had some issues with that and I didn't like how the conversation went down um, and and it was essentially a, well is there anyone else like do you are you sure that you know he would be a culture fit uh, and there were also jokes about his name being made so you think about recruiting you're seeing so many names so many resumes so many people coming through and so there's always jokes about how to pronounce people's names always mm. uh which you know it, it can be again very benign it can just be very casual but at the same time it can be hurtful and so there are a lot of jokes about this candidate's name and you know the english proficiency all sorts of stuff and so i had to i had to bring it to my boss's attention and say, look, like that's not okay. And I had to sit here and say, my name is Adiemi Saba Mchunguzi. Mm. What did you think when you saw my resume? (laughs) And at that time, I was already the highest performer in the firm. And my success path there was simply faster than what my boss had seen and what he had expected for me to have been on. And so I will say that I earned a little bit of the right to have that conversation Mm -hmm. because it was not emotional from a pure sense. Right. It was, it was, it was thoughtful and it was also rooted in like the understanding of this work. Uh, and so that was a hard conversation, but such an important one that we had. And he was so appreciative of it and really, and I am grateful for this, uh, really was more attentive to the moments where staff would say certain things and, and just more. I think again, attentive uh, mm. to some of the the issues that were everywhere, and you know some of his own challenges. So, as the idea of ASMT solutions is bubbling to the surface, are you coming up and spending hours putting together a business plan? Are you like, okay, within three months, this is my exit strategy, and I am going to hit the ground running? Or does it come up a bit more organically? It came up more organically, I would say. I was fortunate enough to work with two entrepreneurs. Uh, 
both of the firms, both the law firm and the uh, recruiting agency, were founded by the CEOs who had been at larger companies and decided to start their own shop. And so uh, along with the operations work that I was doing at the law firm, I I was so connected to how a business was built. Mm. And so my mind was already had an affinity towards that entrepreneurship and what it meant to have three people on the team and then build it to 10 and what it meant to try to start a new office in a different city and and, and those sorts of things. And so it was a, a... progression for sure. And the moment that I recognized uh, that traditional full-time work was not going to fulfill me and that there were always going to be some limitations to that, uh, that's when uh, the idea started to formulate a little bit uh, about what ASMT solutions could look like. And I started to put pieces in place so that I could make the, make the transition. Um, and so started to take on uh, some independent projects and and really understand what contracting as a you know, freelancer at that time would look like. And I also learned that I had amassed this level of information around talent and job search and career strategies. And so... I had the opportunity to sit across the table from IBM executives who were laid off and talk with them about their strategies, which is very different than talking with a marketing associate about their, you know, entry or mid-level transition points, right? And so I started to just learn this work, this work and and had been so close to it that the transition outside of traditional kind of full-time work started to make more sense and I felt a bit more confident. Uh, and, and truly, there was a moment where I said, wait a second, if I'm giving people this advice... And my, 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 my coaching is always rooted in what energizes you, what drains you, and where do you want to see yourself? And that's not a 10-year plan or anything like that. That's just like, what, where do you see? What's that vision look like for you? And so I had to start just asking it for myself. And so you know, as I was going through this internal challenge and, and struggle, that's where uh, the idea really formulated to to go out on my own and, and start to put the building blocks together for ASMT. What was the primary motivation to create ASMT solutions? I saw grave needs in our community. Mm. A lack of resources uh, around careers and job access, a lack of information. And those things really tying to the limitations we have in terms of our economic prosperity, in terms of our our happiness. Uh, Too often, that gap stops us from achieving our goals. And so what what I've been really focused on and, and driven by is sharing information. There's nothing that I know that I don't want others to know. 
And I think there was a time where I thought like, you know, the experts, you hide your information so that you have it. But for me, I've recognized, I know that our communities are, are, are often just as, if not more talented than the successful folks that we aspire to be. Uh, but simply we don't have the connections, uh, or again, the information or resources to really do that. And so, you know, I see ASMT solutions as a way to empower underserved and underrepresented communities mm-hmm. and elevate us in a way that allows us to achieve that economic prosperity and that career success that we see for ourselves while supporting organizations and businesses that care about diversity and equity issues and that are struggling to navigate these challenging subject areas and, and, and complex human capital topics and issues, helping them get what they need. Mm. And so there is this, you know, I love this work because it's at both sides of a market. Uh, and there's, there's just huge opportunities to, to make those connections. And so I see this as a way to, to make sure we have the resources we need to be successful and businesses and organizations can hit their objectives and performance goals through the talent acquisition and uh, human capital work. Starting a company uh, is one of the hardest things we will do in this life. But what drives you to really keep ASMT moving forward? Where do you see it going in the next five years? And those who, after hearing this podcast, go to your website, what should they do to make sure that they're putting their best foot forward when reaching out to you? Mm-hmm. I'm driven by success uh, for myself personally. So I want to start there and just be transparent. I am driven by this work because I love it. <laughs> and so there is an enjoyment and a, and a fulfillment uh, from it. But I'm driven because we need it. Mm. I want there to be thousands of ASMTs around the world, right? And so I know that the need is there and uh, we are just so uh, underserved. Um, and you know, if not us, then who? Mm. So that's what drives me. At the five-year point, I see ASMT Solutions as a hub for talent, resources for both the both candidates and and the talent market as well as resources for for organizations and really building out products and services simultaneously mm-hmm. so that there's the traditional consulting work that is aligned to what I'm doing now, as well as you know, out of the box products and solutions that can support individuals and, and getting creative about what those are. And there's a lot of traditional job searching out there. Uh, but if there's anything that LinkedIn has shown us uh, over the past decade and, and building the largest talent community is that there's a lot of room for innovation. Mm. So uh, you know, I'm excited to, to see ASMT build on those things and just help more people. Mm-hmm. The end of the day, grow, grow that impact. So if you're coming to my website, uh, if you're connecting with me on LinkedIn, which please feel free to do so. Number one, do not send a cold connection request. 
put something in that note. I know it can be a little bit of a pain. Uh, in my early days of recruiting, when I was connecting with 50 or 100 people a day, I had to do that. So I know it can be a pain. But on the flip side, it does help you stand out. So please put something personal, even if it's just a quick one line. Uh, and, and secondly, be clear about what you'd like. How can I help you? Uh, I will not guarantee that I've got everything that you need, but if you can be clear about what your questions are and, and what you'd like support on, uh, ideally I can point you in the right direction. And, you know, from an organizational perspective for folks who may be hiring managers or, you know, looking to start their own firms, uh, you know, I am passionate about startups and I have startup clients and have, you know, built teams that have, uh, you know, spanned a lot of areas and kind of verticals, et cetera. So for, for anybody that is thinking about building a team, uh, you know, let, let's set up some time to talk, uh, so that I can learn more about your challenges and what your objectives are and, and help put some of the pieces together. Uh, and I've seen it from the startup lens all the way to the Fortune 500s and some of these global tech companies that are navigating, uh, talent at all stages. And so, you know, if you're on that lens and there's some support that you could need, I would be happy to connect. Currently, we're living in the time of the Rona and uh, mm. isolation. And last week, 4.4 million people filed for unemployment. It's a difficult time, but what can professionals do to just make sure that when businesses do start hiring again, they are as prepared as possible? We won't be in this time forever. And I remind myself of this often and uh, my team as well. You have to really prepare yourself as if you are not dealing with COVID-19, as if you are not quarantined and stuck in houses, as if, you know, there is not this broad sweeping unemployment. Uh, so, you know, from the core, uh, I never advise folks to start looking for jobs and just running out the door to apply for roles, right? Uh, if you need money and there are some like economic factors in place, then like, yes, I think you need to make do and, and, and support uh, your family. But this is the time to figure out what in the world do you want to do? Mm. There's no value in jumping into another miserable job. <sighs> Raise your hand if you have been in a job that you wish you were not in. Yeah. And so take this opportunity to think about what you want to do. And I go back to how are you spending, how do you want to spend your time? What are the things that are energizing to you? Don't focus on just the title or just the prestige of the company. Think about how do you want to spend your time? What are the things you want to be doing? And then talk to folks in your network who can, who can help support you. So I think as you think about specific things that folks can do right now, one is be talking to people. You have a captive audience everywhere. Nobody can do but so much. And so your friends, your family, your alumni networks, your past colleagues, talk to people. I'm always surprised by how much information and resources we have right around us and we don't use uh, because we don't ask the question. So have conversations. Set yourself a goal. I'm going to talk to one person a week that I haven't talked to in a while. Think about that. 
at the end of the month, you've talked to four people you may not have connected with in years. And what could they do for your career or just for just as a resource, as a different type of support? Uh, secondly, spend this time doing the things that you don't typically have time to do or don't want to do. Uh, you know, your LinkedIn profile is always a good opportunity to showcase yourself, uh, to make those updates. And again, that ties to networking because people are going to notice that. I say thirdly, remember that although the unemployment numbers are awful and who knows how uh, we are going to at a broad, at a, who knows how we are going to be able to bounce back from all of that. However, people are hiring. And so I also try to encourage folks to to remember that it it's grim and there is a lot of propaganda out there and it's hard for us to dissect uh, and really disassociate the information we're hearing from what's happening. Uh, and so just to remember, there are opportunities. People do want to hire um, and, and you want to just be thinking about what happens after uh, COVID-19 and not focus on just what you're, what we're seeing and, and experiencing. And I know it's hard too. So the last thing I'll say is this is not, there's nothing easy. Uh, everyone uses the term unprecedented. So don't beat yourself up over it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not, it's not worth it. You are not prepared for this. None of us are. Uh, but it doesn't mean that we can't persevere. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't actually gain what you need from this experience. That was great advice. That was wonderful. I have to say you are brilliant. This was such an insightful conversation. I feel honored to know you and have you as a friend. Um, and you are... I just, I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for ASMT solutions. I'm so excited for the people who come across your path and who you're about to help. Um, from day one, you have always been a blessing to the community that you are in. And Adiemi, I can't thank you enough. And um, we will stay in touch. We're gonna. I'm going to make sure that everyone has your information so that they can know you as well because it is truly an honor. Well, thank you so much, Taylor. I appreciate those kind words. I'm thankful for anyone who uh, takes a listen to this and I'm really excited about, about the future. All right. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed that episode, please do me a huge favor and rate, review, and subscribe. Also, If you have any questions or comments about the show, please feel free to hit me up at the lookbackpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. And until then, have a wonderful week and I'll see you next time. Bye.